Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports, speaking about what is happening in the world of sports, these are my favorite things, so I'm going to make it plain and talk to you like my man John Coltrane of the Sax. Ain't no holding back, so we're going to be speaking about what's happening in the NBA, we're speaking about what's going on in the world of sports. Hello, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, good morning, good abend, shalom, wassalamu alaikum, namaste, konnichiwa, Wendell's World of Sports. Before I go ahead and get into what's happening, what I'm going to be speaking about in the world of sports, if you could do me a favor, first of all, special dedication for those who are watching this video on YouTube. I thank you so much. If you could just go ahead and subscribe to my channel, if you could just go ahead and uh, like this video, if you so would be. I would very much appreciate it. And if you're listening to this video, if you're listening to this podcast, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast, whether it be Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, whatever, if you could just go ahead and you could just subscribe, follow, download, rate, review. Most importantly, though, enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast I would very much Appreciate it. So, all right, here we go. We're going to be playing the hits now. We're going to be speaking about what is going down in the NBA. The finals is here. I should be speaking maybe a little bit some about some uh, some National Hockey League stuff, man, because they have me hooked, man. They have me, uh, they've got me going. This is the most hockey I've watched outside of the Washington Capitals when they won the Stanley Cup playoffs. But uh, the Western Conference, man, well, I just finished watching or I'm just still getting over the excitement of the uh, game or the series between Edmonton and Calgary. That was fantastic. And now you've got the Western Conference Finals between Edmonton and the Colorado Avalanche, two of the most exciting teams in the NHL. And Connor McDavid, they got me hooked up, man. Congratulations. The NHL finally has that guy that can say, you know what, I might not be a guy who's going to be watching a lot of hockey, but uh, with this guy is out there skating around, and when this guy's out there doing this thing, I don't give a damn if it's the playoffs. I don't give a damn if it's the regular season. I don't give a damn. I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be interested in watching Connor McDavid. I'm going to be interested when the Edmonton Oilers play the Vancouver Canucks. And I dream about possibly living in the most beautiful city in North America, even though the prices are outrageous, depending upon the 2024 elections here in this country. When I go ahead and watch the Edmonton Oilers play the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we see Connor McDavid going up against uh, that kid from um, uh, Toronto, who's uh, exciting and he's awesome. And he's awesome. Um, and I'm going to be contemplating whether I should stay in this country or move to Toronto or move to Calgary or move to Vancouver or move to. I'm not going to Montreal because I don't speak Francais. But uh, yeah, whenever Connor McDavid is playing, man, I am going to be watching, and I'm going to be watching with. A lot more interest. So the NHL, congratulations on finding themselves that superstar. Austin Matthews. Yeah, Austin Matthews, the 
the uh, great young player for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But yeah, congratulations to the um, to the NHL for getting themselves a player. Which uh, yeah, you know, you got me hooked a little bit more on the on the sport. Got me hooked like a fish. And uh, watching Connor McDavid play while living in Vancouver, that would be a nice little wish in 2025-26, depending upon the 2024 elections here in this country. But getting back to um, my main deal, getting back to my wife, getting back to my Halle Berry, getting back to the love of my life outside of the Georgetown Hoyas, the NBA, speaking about the NBA Finals, the Boston Celtics, the Golden State Warriors, um, that's the NBA Finals. And first of all, I want to thank you so much. I mean, normally, you know, my team, the Washington Wizards, being instant consequential, being irrelevant when you're speaking about teams vying for the championship, when you speak about teams that are serious about winning championships. So, you know, outside of the Washington Wizards, you know, my love for other teams competing in the NBA championships itself is really no big deal. I'm not one of these teams, or I'm not one of these guys where if my team doesn't do well, my second favorite team, I'm going to be rooting and cheering and having the highs and lows of emotions that comes with you rooting for your favorite team. I don't transfer that to another team just because my hometown team is irrelevant when it comes to those type of things. And I'm speaking about not just the Washington Wizards, but also the Nationals, also the Commanders, and also the Washington Capitals. But, um, yeah, so if it's a matter of Hey, man, whether it was the Dallas Mavericks or the Golden State Warriors or the Memphis Grizzlies or the Minnesota Timberwolves or the Dallas Mavericks, whatever, man, all I want to do is find a team in the Western Conference that's going to make it to the NBA Finals that's deserving and is going to give me a lot of entertainment value. We play the brand of basketball that I really enjoy. And it's the same thing with the Eastern Conference, whether it was the Brooklyn Nets or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Philadelphia 76ers or the Boston Celtics. It didn't matter. I just want to see two good teams with good contrasting styles and teams that earned and deserved the right to be there play for the NBA championship. The one thing that I can really say, though, the one team I did not want to see under any circumstances whatsoever make it to the NBA finals, regardless of who they were going to play, were the Miami Heat. No. When he says, no. I think he just no. feels more comfortable changing into a different pair of shoes. And a tire change after one lap. Butler with some room service. And the Heat with their first win. How bad and how horrible and how terrible and at times how godly unwatchable that was in their series against the Boston Celtics. Now, did Boston participate in that uh, malaise with that you know level of play that was borderline um, unwatchable at times? Yes, but man... The majority of that went to the Miami Heat, and it just led to some bad basketball. That led to some bad basketball for the eyes. And all respect to Jimmy Butler for what he did, um, playing injured like he did, and then having the games that he did in Game 6, in Game 7, and much respect to Eric Spolstra, one of the best coaches in the NBA, has been consistently one of the best coaches in the NBA for years. And Bam on the Bayou, I mean – Respect to all those guys and respect for the professionalism and the effort and the intensity and the consistency of, of effort and caring that that team gives to the NBA fan and to the uh, paying customer to go watch them play or for those who are taking time out of their busy schedules to watch the NBA, watch those guys play. I, I, I appreciate the fact that you care so much. As I mentioned before, the Miami Heat is going to give you the same effort that they showed in these playoffs like they did 
during the regular season, regardless of who they're playing, what the circumstances are, what night it is, how deep in the dog days that they are, how many back-to-backs or whatever, the Miami Heat is going to give you the same amount of intensity and, 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 and privilege and courage and all those type of things to go ahead and play as hard as they can. But, man, it, it, it makes for sometimes some really bad basketball, especially when you speak about how depleted the Miami Heat were in these playoffs. Tyler Hero didn't play the last couple of games. Kyle Lowry was injured. Um, uh, we knew about Jimmy, Jimmy Butler and what he was dealing with with his knee injury and the, everything goes on and on. And those are just the, the injury reports that we know about. I'm not quite sure. Bam out of Bayou and and uh, and P.J. Tucker and those guys were dealing with some type of icky alleys that didn't make that made them far from being 100%. Just like the Boston Celtics, just like the Dallas Mavericks, just like the Golden State Warriors, on and on and on. So I, I give the Heat credit and respect for how hard they play and how care they are in terms of their professionalism and giving their best. But man, it makes for some bad, bad basketball when you need to play the way that they did to try to win a um, NBA championship by the way that they played to win a conference championship. That's some ugly stuff, man. That's some ugly stuff. And you have that type of ball in the NBA Finals against a team like the Golden State Warriors, and they're going to muck it up, and they're going to be physical, and they're going to dare the refs to call fouls because they're committing fouls on almost every play, every possession. It, it just makes for some bad basketball. It makes for some inefficient basketball. It makes for some inconsistent basketball. It makes for some bad refereeing. Because we have a situation now where in the first quarter, the referees are calling it one way, and then they need to tighten it up, so they call it differently in the second quarter, and the inconsistency that goes with that, what's a foul in the first quarter might not be a foul in the fourth quarter, in the missed calls, and it's just, the referees have a hard enough time on a consistent basis getting it right. But with the Miami Heat, okay, what's a foul, what's not the foul, what's not what is a foul on the Miami Heat, what is a foul on the other team, what's not a foul on the Heat, what's not a foul with the other team, how much physicality can they have, what the bump, all this type of stuff the referees have to uh, uh, go through when you're playing the Miami Heat. It just, and it just makes for some bad, bad basketball when you have professional floppers, when you have a professional flopper like Cal Lowry who's doing everything that he can to uh, try to deduce and trick the referees into making a call by him flopping all over the place and and, and, and pretending that on every little bump it's like he just got shot by a shotgun to the stomach or to the abdomen just makes it for bad basket basketball. So on that regard, I am glad that we'll have a series in Boston and Golden State, which should be aesthetically pleasing for those who are not just basketball fans, but maybe for those who might watch the NBA only during the NBA Finals. Game 7. This past uh, Monday, the Celtics won the Eastern Conference Championship over Miami, 100-96. Eastern Conference Finals MVP Jason Tatum led the way with 26 points. First ever Larry Bird uh, uh, Trophy Award went to him as the Eastern Conference's MVP. Tatum, um, he deserved it. When you're speaking about the totality of the Eastern Conference uh, playoff series, averaging 25 points, eight rebounds, five assists in this series, but you take a look at his game six performance against the Milwaukee Bucks, you take a look at the way that he outplayed Kevin Durant in the first round of the NBA playoffs, and you speak about the impact that he had on this series and the win against the Celtics, yeah, for the Celtics, yeah, he was, he was very deserving of the award, 
Jalen Brown. Marcus Smart, he scored 24 for Boston. But, uh, you know, Boston did things the hard way to try to get into to uh, finally win this series. When you're thinking about Game 7, now this was a series where the team that usually jumped out to the big lead normally was not a big deal. It was a team that was going to win the uh, game. When you speak about, you know, in Game 7, first quarter, Boston was up by 15, 32-17, jumped out to a 27 lead. Miami took about four minutes before they hit their first uh, field goal getting into the game. Then Miami, you know, scoring 17 points on 25 possessions, going one of six from the three-point line, eight of 21 from the field. Second quarter started to pick things up. Jimmy Butler started putting the heat on his back, getting to the baskets, really using anybody that was guarding him, whether it be Derek White, whether it was going to be Marcus Smart, uh, coming off picks and pick and rolls, uh, Al Horford not really being a deterrent. For Butler in that second quarter, Miami started getting points by going to the line, Boston fouling a lot, and, um, you know, even with all of those things that were going on, it was a situation where you could look back if Miami would have won this game, you could have looked back at two instances, of course, and we'll go over this very quickly, the 13-point lead with three and a half minutes to go in the game, if Boston would have lost that game because all of a sudden Marcus Smart turned into John Starks, Game 6, New York versus Houston in the NBA Finals in 94. But even before then, if you want to be taking a look at the foundation or the first clue, clues that the Celtics missed a golden opportunity to put the game away, so the fact that they would have lost this 13-point lead with three and a half minutes left to go in the game and such, that would have been a mute point, moot point. You could look back at the end of the second quarter. In the second quarter... Boston had to lead anywhere anywhere between 17 and, and 11 points throughout the uh, throughout the second quarter. Then the two and what, what two minutes and 12 seconds somewhere around there, uh, Jason Tatum Jason Tatum turnover. Max Struess hit a three pointer. Jimmy Butler hit a three pointer off of a bad three point possession shot by Jason Tatum, making the score 53-44. Then, as I mentioned before, the start the Celtics started fouling. They sent the Heat to the free throw line. Bam out of Bayou. Goes one out of two. Then Kyle Lowry gets two cheap bullshit calls, flopping calls. He goes five or six from the line compared, uh, combined with Bam Adebayo. And all of a sudden, the Heat, who were grossly outplayed, the only one doing anything for the Heat was Jimmy Butler as he scored 24 in that half. And all of a sudden, the Celtics look up at a game that they were absolutely dominating because of a poor finish to the second quarter. And all of a sudden, it's 55-49. So all the momentum and all the hope was with the Miami Heat. It was almost a situation where, yeah, the Heat were behind by six. Yeah, the Heat were very limited in what they could do to score and put points together. But it just seemed like the momentum going into the third quarter at that time was with the Miami Heat because of how badly they were outplayed. But yet and still, they found, they found themselves within, um, within shouting distance of taking the lead and also having that home court advantage again. Jimmy Butler, 15 points in the second quarter, 24 at half, 8 to 12 shooting on a bad leg. And as I mentioned before, not having anybody on the Celtics um, being able to uh, match up with them, especially off of that uh, pick and roll uh, that uh, Miami was executing with Jimmy Butler. Third quarter, Miami cut the lead to 58-54 early in the third. Then Tatum and Smart made baskets to put the lead back to 13, 65-52. So that first little push 
by Miami was thwarted. It was like, oh, okay, there we go. And they really maintained that 13-point lead, maybe cut it down to seven at times. Miami did, but mainly it was anywhere between seven and 13 points for the rest of the quarter. And going into the fourth, if you're a Boston Celtics fan, man, let me know. It was 75, it was 72-65, and you felt comfortable. But it was a situation where you knew that the Miami Heat weren't going to go away. And after watching this series, especially at this point, you, you knew that Boston wasn't going to be able to put them away. As much as Boston had the firepower to do so, you still had Jimmy Butler, who was unstoppable. And you still had the, you still had the situation where this was the Miami Heat. So, yeah, 72-65 at that time going into the fourth, eh, you, still felt, you still felt a little uneasy if you were the Celtics. Again, even though you're speaking about a Miami Heat team that was uh, not, you know, didn't have the weapons or didn't have the uh, weaponry to, uh, you know, make a big, huge push. But in the fourth quarter, again, Boston looked like it was in control for most of the quarter. Yeah, Miami cut the lead to three as 82-79 early in the fourth quarter on basket, the lob to where the Bayou and then uh, Butler again. But again, Tatum wearing the Kobe Bryant uh, 24 armband, responded with uh, clutch scoring, good passing, getting smart open, making the score 90-79 to with 6.36 left. And you started feeling like, oh, no, okay, a little bit like, all right, all right, all right, maybe something. But you, you, if you're a Boston Celtics fan, if you were a fan like I was and say in terms of, man, I do not want to see the Miami Heat play anymore. You know they are the Rasputin of the NBA in these regards. You know that they weren't finished. You know that they had one, one more run in them. It was going to be a question of were they going to be able to sustain, sustain the force of Jimmy Butler and hold him back long enough to go ahead and pull out this game. If you're wondering, with about six and a half minutes to go, if the score is 90-79, to 79, I mean, this is a situation where it's almost like, man, if we could just get to 100 points, if we could just score five more buckets, if we could just get two more threes and two more twos, or we could just get some type of combination to make it, you know, to get us to 100, in 636, even with the Miami Heater, they're going to be able to score 21-plus points to tie it or even take the lead if this is a situation. So it's almost like you're not at the point now where you start playing the clock. 6.36, too long. Way, way, way too long. But there's also a situation where you start looking at, okay, let's not look backwards in terms of what the Miami Heat are doing with 79. Let's look forward to see how many points we need to have and also concentrate on our defense, which throughout the playoffs for the Celtics have been, you know, at stout. But it's like, man, if we could just get if we could just get to 100, we've got this game because with our defense, we we don't think that the we don't think that the Heat are going to be scoring that many points, even if Butler goes nuts, even if somebody else, you know, comes in, because outside of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, nobody nobody from Miami was doing anything. Lowry, because of injury, wasn't doing anything. Max Struess wasn't doing anything. Gabe Vincent wasn't doing anything. Um, they tried going with Victor Oladipo because Tyler Hero was suffering a groin injury, a groin injury, groin, groin injury, and he came in in the first half, but you could see that, uh, you know, he wasn't going to be effective, so he wasn't uh, able to go for the Miami Heat, so they had to replace him with Victor Oladipo. So, I mean, this was a situation where it was going to be Jimmy and Bam or bust 
for the Miami Heat. And Miami went five minutes during that fourth quarter, going 0 for 9 from the field without scoring any points during that stretch. So it was just a situation where, man, if we could, again, if we could get to 100, we've got this game intact. Ten more points, free throw lines, three-point field goals, jumpers, something, man. You know, some somebody. You know, Jason Tatum setting something up for maybe a corner three or a left corner three by an Al Horford. And maybe we get something in terms of uh, of um, a mismatch with Jayla Brown and he does some things. Or, again, Tatum creating something for uh, for easy buckets for uh, one of the one of his teammates. It, it, was, it was all there. So Boston kept it around that 11, 13-point mark until around, you know, 221 left to go in the game. And that's where... That's where things started to get a little bit uh, dicey if you were a Boston Celtics fan. Struth puts back a dunk. There's a sequence after that with 208 left to go. Marcus Smart misses a 28-4, Okay, okay. Al Horford rebounds. Does Smart miss? Gives it back to him. He shoots another three, and then he gets he misses. Hero ball, stagger, final nail in the coffin type of shooting from Marcus Smart. If you're Jason Tatum, I can go with that. If you're Marcus Smart... No, you can't. Then a minute six left to go. Marcus misses a 26-footer with the game 98-91 in favor of Boston. You're like, oh, shit. Now you start watching the clock. Now you just start doing the tick, 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 and let this thing run down. And it's almost like, man, let's just get us one stop. Let's just get us one stop. Now the plays that Jason Tatum were making, it was almost where I'm reading this or I'm looking at this, and I'm saying Marcus Smart misses a three-point shot. Al Horford gets his rebound. Passes it back out to Smart, who misses another three-point attempt. Marcus Smart in the next position, possession misses a uh, three-point attempt. Jalen Brown from the right side drives baseline, and he charges into Bayam out of Bayou, and he's charged, called for the offensive foul, and the challenge is negated. Now, all of a sudden, with 52 seconds left to go, it's 98-93 with the Heat with the basketball. Now, all of a sudden, the Heat fans, many of them who had taken to the streets, are now all of a sudden making some noise. Now all of a sudden they're starting to believe. And after Max Struess hits that three-point shot to make it 98-96 with 50 seconds left to play, Boston fans, are you saying, oh, shit, we're going to fucking lose this game? We are going to fucking lose this game. We had a 13-point lead, man, and we lost this game. We're going to lose this fucking game. And right now you're yelling everything humanly possible at Marcus Smart. You are... If you were in the arena and you had a weapon and you saw Marcus Smart get the ball and he was wide open, you would take that weapon and you would do something with it to prevent him from shooting because it was like, stop shooting. I don't care if you're wide open. Marcus, stop shooting. You're not hitting. You're not Steph Curry. You're not Klay Thompson. You're not Jordan Poole. You're not Jason Tatum. Stop shooting. You're not Brayton Pritchard. Stop shooting. They're leaving you wide open for a reason. Stop shooting. You're killing us. You know, markets went old school markets. You know, just give me the ball. I'll take care of things. No, no, no. But Marcus kept shooting, and he kept shooting, and he kept trying to put that dagger in, and he kept trying to put that dagger in, and Miami was like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yes, we, we can live without Jason Tatum shooting a three, believe me, especially if the alternative is Marcus Smart. And you're the Boston Celtics fan. I will have Jason Tatum take a contested right side three-point shot with three guys hanging all over him 
more than I will Marcus Smart shooting a wide-open 26, 27, or 28-footer. Stop shooting, Marcus! So I can just imagine this, the angst of Boston Celtics fans as they were watching um, as they were watching Marcus Smart slowly morph into this generation's Charles Smith and uh, John Stark. So after Struz made that three-point play to make it uh, make uh, to make the three-pointer to make it 59 uh, to make it 98-96 with 50 seconds left to play, Marcus Smart right side goes for the layup, misses badly on the attempt. Miami gets the ball with 21.8 seconds left, and here you go. And you're thinking to yourself, these motherfuckers are going to tie this game up. And if you're a pessimist, and hey, man, we're, we're taking, a, we're, we're we're talking about Boston. We're talking about Boston, Massachusetts. You know when Jimmy Butler pulled up for that three-point shot with 16.6 seconds left to go. As a Boston Celtics fan, as a fanatic of the Boston Celtics and you're already losing your mind and your anger is off the charts at the way that the Celtics have been executing on the offensive end, i.e. Marcus Smart thinking that he's Jerry West and Kobe Bryant and, and Michael Jordan all in the one. Don't tell me. When Jimmy Butler rose for that three-point shot, you were like, this motherfucker's going to make it. This motherfucker's going to make this goddamn shot. And we're going to be down by one with 16 seconds left to go. And we're going to have the offensive possession. And fucking Marcus Smart is going to fuck it up for us again. I know it. I feel it. Don't tell me you weren't thinking that. Or at least a little bit of you were thinking about that when Jimmy Butler rose to shoot that shot. Luckily for the Celtics. Luckily for the NBA. Luckily for sports fans, luckily for everybody outside of Miami, Florida, the shot missed. Horford got the rebound. Smart makes two free throws to make it 196. Oh, <laughs> exhale. This motherfucking game is over. <laughs> You're a Boston Celtics fan. And uh, yeah, man, it was something else. Look, people are going to be sitting there talking about should. Butler have attempted a three-point shot, man. When you're talking about a guy who had did so, who had uh, done so much in the series like Jimmy Butler, hey, look, man, you know, I mean, if he felt it, if that was his decision, then you go for it. Maybe it was a situation. You hear all the theories that the that the Heat were so exhausted that if they would have played another five minutes or gone into overtime, there would be a situation where they were out of gas and they weren't going to win the game. So. You know, we, we, we play this when you're on the road, you go for three in the win. When you're at home, you go for two and play in overtime. You have the crowd and you have the momentum. And, and you could say that uh, maybe if the Heat forced the overtime against the Celtics, the way that the Celtics blew that game, that maybe their reserve, maybe their their, their, their mental toughness and such, maybe don't over, don't, don't overcome such a uh, collapse in Miami riding that wave going from, hey, we're out of this, the season's over, to, oh, my goodness, we've got another opportunity. Seizes on that. They, they, they get a little bit more adrenaline in the overtime to defeat a demoralized uh, Boston Celtics team. But they're, they're number one, um, just because Jimmy Butler turned down the opportunity to drive on Al Horford, there was not a 100% guarantee that he was going to make the shot. 
especially if we're speaking about Jimmy Butler and one of the reasons why he pulled up for that three-point shot. If he was truly fatigued, then there is no guarantee that he was going to make the two-point shot. I mean, he didn't have like a straight line to the to the basket. Could have been a situation where he got fouled and he misses one of two uh, free throws. Could have been a situation where he missed a shot. Could have been a situation where Al Horford would have made a defensive play. We don't know. But, you know, Butler pulled up. And, and, and yeah, the situation where if you take a look at Butler this season, he's a, his effective field goal percentage is somewhere around 37% on shots outside of the paint. Was a third worst among the 217 players with at least 200 field goal attempts outside of the paint. So, yeah, the statistics... And yet the analytics show that that wasn't a good shot. But again, if you're speaking about Jimmy Butler and you want to put the finishing touches on what would have been a historical run for the for a player in NBA history, considering the playoffs are concerned, when you follow up a 47-point game-saving uh, performance on the road uh, like Jimmy Butler did in Game 6 and you come back home in Game 7, and you hit the game-winning shot on a bad leg and scoring 38 points for the win, hey, come on, man. That's that's the kind of stuff where you'll be remembered forever, man. You'll be right up there with uh, Isaiah Thomas scoring 21 points on a twisted ankle in Game 6 in the NBA Finals. You'll be up there in 1965 with Jerry West averaged over 40 points a game after Elgin Baylor ripped up his knee and being a one-man show and leading the Lakers to the NBA championship where they lost to the um, – where they lost to the uh, Boston Celtics and Bill Russell. I mean, you're, you're going to be put up there with that type of deal. You're going to be put up there with Jerry West and the series against the Los Angeles Lakers, where he averaged over 40 points in 1969 and would name the series MVP, even though the Lakers lost that series to the Boston Celtics. So you're going to be put up there right in that category if you make that free throw, if you make that three-point attempt. So, you know. Jimmy Butler, man, go for it, man, because not only are we speaking about the opportunity, and even if he makes the shot, there's still 16, 11 seconds left to go with Boston having the final possession, so it wasn't the game-winning, buzzer-beating shot that Jimmy Butler, the three-point shot that uh, Jimmy Butler attempted. So there were other scenarios to go into uh, the decision or the opinion that you're going to give on whether Jimmy Butler's decision to take a three-pointer in that situation was a good one or a bad one, or a situation where, you know, Jimmy Butler cost the Miami Heat the opportunity to win that game because he pulled up from the three-point line with 16.6 seconds left when he had a backtracking Al Horford at his mercy. A whole lot of other things are going to go into play for you before you start really questioning that shot. And I'm quite sure that if it was somebody else other than Jimmy Butler, he would have been roasted a lot more. But, I mean, how much can you complain about Jimmy Butler in that shot when, if it wasn't for him, the Miami Heat probably loses this series in five games. So, um, yeah, you don't have a, don't have too much of a, they don't have too much of a uh, argument of peace to go against that or go against, uh, you know, why you should have taken a top shot or not. But uh, situation, man, where uh, Butler saved, Marcus Smart should be on his hands and knees thanking Jimmy Butler for that decision because it saved him from being this generation's John Starks, as I mentioned before, Game 6 against Houston in the 1994 NBA Finals when Patrick Ewing was one game away with a Nick leading three games to two in the NBA Finals, and John Starks kept firing, and he kept missing, and he kept firing, and he kept missing, and he kept firing, and he kept missing, and I was yelling at the television screen along with Mikel Davis, Stop shooting, Starks! For God's fucking sakes, 
Stop shooting! And he kept shooting, and he kept missing, and he kept shooting, and he kept missing, and, well, we all know what happened. The uh, New York Knicks and Patrick Ewing lost their best chance to win an NBA championship against uh, Akeem Olajuwon, Otis Thorpe, Vernon Maxwell, and the Houston Rockets at that time in 1994. Thank you very much, John Starks, for going 3 for 17 or 2 for 17 or some bullshit like that. And he also, you could say that um, Jimmy Butler saved Marcus Smart from being a little bit of John Starks of the New York Knicks game 6 versus Houston in the NBA Finals. Charles Smith game 5 against the Chicago Bulls where, again, the game series tied to game to 2. The opportunity to end the dynasty right there with the Knicks who made all their moves that season to upend the uh, Chicago Bulls and what would have been Michael Jordan's first retirement after he won the uh, NBA championship against Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns. But Ewing makes a beautiful pass underneath to uh, Charles Smith who has it stripped and he picks it back up and then he had to block and he picks it back up and he had to block by the bottom of the uh, basket and he picks it back up and then he had to strip again and that was the end of that. B.J. Armstrong made the layup, and the uh, Chicago Bulls won that game and consequently won game six. So thank you very much, Charles Smith, for fucking that up for Patrick Ewing. And then we have Nick Anderson game one against the Houston Rockets in the 96, 95 NBA finals against the, uh, the Houston Rockets or Nick Anderson playing for the Orlando Magic going up against the Houston Rockets where with an opportunity to ice the game, he missed two free throws. Now, yes, all of these games might be a little bit different, but I'm speaking about bad decisions. I'm speaking about four fan bases. Um, if the Boston Celtics would have lost that game 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years from now, generations upon generations would know Marcus Smart and know him for being the guy who shot the Miami Heat into the NBA Finals and shot the New York Knicks, excuse me, shot the uh, Boston Celtics out of the opportunity to win themselves an NBA championship, and depending upon uh, how the history of the NBA after this goes, I mean, we could t- be taking a look at Marcus Smart with the uh, all-time guilts for being this generation's Boston Celtics team of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and a team that was regarded to be a team that could win an NBA championship, and looking back at the season, looking back at the series, everything that would have entailed the fact that uh, you know generations of Bostonians who might not have been cognizant of what happened on Sunday in Game 7 against the Miami Heat and those who were too young Bostonians and those of the New England era, when you speak about the Boston Celtics and speak about this team and speak about this season and speak about this era led by Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart could have been that guy. Marcus Smart could be that guy where Bostonians say, that fucking smart Unfucking believable. So that's my bad uh, Boston accent, but uh, Jimmy Butler saved him from that situation. So, yeah, man, Boston is heading on. And if you take a look at the storylines of this uh, series between Boston and Miami, it was a situation where, hey, guess what? Boston was the better team. If you take a look, if you, if you take a look at it, if you take a look at the 28 quarters between the Celtics and the Heat. Boston now scored Miami in 19 of those quarters. And if you speak about most of the games, I mean, game one, the only reason why that the Miami Heat won was because of the third quarter in which they outscored Boston 39-14 to after trailing by eight at halftime. Other than that, Boston had won the other three quarters. Game two, Boston won by 25 points, led by as many as 34 in the fourth quarter. Game three, 
They were outscored 39 to 18 and never really recovered. So that one big quarter by the Miami Heat uh, propelled them to a good enough cushion to where a furious Celtics comeback didn't win them the game in game three. Game four, they were outscored in garbage time 30 to 26 after Boston jumped out to a 26 to 4 lead, led by as many as 27 points in the second quarter, 32 points in the third quarter. So that was a situation again in game four where three of the four quarters, the Celtics outscored the Heat. And then game five was really the only game where the Miami Heat um, was that team to uh, really, um, game five and game six were a lot much closer in terms of uh, the, the quarters and who won the quarters and such. So I think Boston just showed that they're the better team. I just think Boston, interesting how they, interesting how they played better on the road than they did at home. If you take a look statistically, that they played better on the road than at home. That was interesting. Take a look at before Game 7 in these Eastern Conference Finals and these NBA uh, playoffs. In Game 7, the road teams have won just 23% of the Game 7s. And there was a situation where, yeah, even though Boston had lost in Game 6, because they were 6-2 and two going into Game 7 as far as their record on the road during these playoffs, it was a situation where it wasn't maybe as dire as many people would have thought in terms of, man, a golden situation. Now Miami is clearly in the driver's seat, especially when you take a look and you kind of assess what was left of the Miami Heat because of the devastation that they had with some of their key players because of injury. So, hey, man, the NBA Finals is now set. I want to thank the Boston Celtics for finally putting an end to the opportunity for the Miami Heat to make it to the NBA Finals. We got ourselves a really nice final between the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. What is up? What is going to be the storyline? What's going to be happening? What's going to be going down? What's going to be the schedule? What are at stake for players like Jason Tatum and for Steph Curry? What's going to be at stake for the Golden State Warriors of the franchise? What does it mean moving forward for the Boston Celtics to get to the spot that they're in right now? What does it mean for them now, or what does it mean for them moving forward? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, and we'll be speaking about that uh, right after I get down and do a little boogieing. podcast last segment of the program Wendell's world of sports 
I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us, man. The NBA Finals, this upcoming NBA Finals, the Boston Celtics and the Golden State Warriors. The finals are officially set. If you take a look at the schedule, Game 1 is going to be happening this upcoming Thursday, June 2nd, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ABC. They'll start in San Francisco. Game 2, Sunday, June the 5th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ABC. Games will be Game 2 will be in San Francisco. Game 3, Wednesday, June 8th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I think it's going to be 3 p.m. Hawaiian Time. ABC is going to be televising the game. That will be at Boston. Game 4, June 10th, 9 p.m. That's a Friday, Eastern Standard Time at 9. ABC televising the game at Boston. And then if there's going to be a need for Game 5, 6, and 7, Game 5, Monday, June 13th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ABC that game will be in San Francisco. Game 6, Thursday, June 16th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, ABC in Boston. Game 7, Sunday, June 19th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, ABC. That game will be in San Francisco. For those who might be new to the party, the 2-3-2 format has long gone. Now it's a 2-2-1-1-1 back to the original. So, how many games this is going to go, man? There's so many. There's so many details. There's so many things outside going on, moving around, moving parts. That uh, I don't think it's going to go. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. But I can see this going six games. Who's going to win the series? I don't know. Who's the finals favorite? I don't know. I mean, it's a situation where, again, these these finals, these series, these playoff series, man, they take on their own little. They take on their own little format, man, and it's hard to sometimes carry over what a team did from one series to the next, depending upon the team that they're playing, depending upon the style, depending upon the matchups. I mean, we don't know. We, we don't know. And you, you take a look at the Warriors. You take a look at their path to the NBA Finals. You take a look at the fact that they took out the uh, Denver Nuggets in relative ease and dispatch of the Memphis Grizzlies, mainly by them kind of slacking off a little bit after their Game 3 win and really not putting the pedal to the metal or treating the Memphis Grizzlies as the contenders that they should have been because of that. Made it a little bit more dicey for the Warriors to finally put them away in six games. And then where everybody was thinking about that showdown between the Warriors and the Phoenix Suns, the Dallas Mavericks said, "Uh uh-uh, I don't think so. And I uh, put the kibosh on that, but we're no match experience-wise or just matchup-wise or just talent-wise against the much more deeper and experienced Golden State Warriors for the Warriors to go ahead and give them the gentlemanly sweep in five games. So if you take a look, the Warriors not yet have been tested in these playoffs with the number two seed. They played, or the number three seed, they played the number two seed, Memphis Grizzlies, with Memphis more of a was Memphis more of a regular seeded, a regular season team? When you speak about them having the number two seed in the NBA playoffs, they played the Denver Nuggets that were coming in without um, Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray, a, a depleted Denver Nuggets team, even though they had most of the season to try to counteract the injuries to those two key players. Yet and still going up against the Warriors proved to be no match for the two-time MVP Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets. And then, as great as Luka was for the Dallas Mavericks, how great that he's been in the playoffs, not just for this year, but also for his entire career when he's been in the playoffs. 
with the Dallas Mavericks. Luka is still at the learning stage and not quite ready yet to take on the responsibilities of being an NBA champion, something that the uh, something that a Steph Curry has already experienced, that Kevin Durant has already experienced, a LeBron James, of course, being the alpha of talking about experience in winning and leading teams to championships for his generation and the next generation. Luka at 23 is not there yet. He will be someday, probably, probably in the next two to three to four years, once he gets himself into shape and learns to play some defense and care about some of the other things as far as doing some of the uh, intangibles. But as of right now, Luka is still a work in progress when you're speaking about a guy who can be on a level to where he's consistently uh, having his team in a position to win championships and having the experience of knowing how to get the job done in that regard. The Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry already knows how to do that. And when you take a look at that experience and you take a look at the Boston Celtics, the fact that this is the first time in a while that they're going to be making it back to the NBA Finals, you, you might take a look and you might say to yourself, well, obviously then, as far as winning championships and having that experience, the Boston Celtics are not going to be up to the challenge in that regard to uh, deal with the Golden State Warriors. And from a championship level, uh, maybe yes. Number one, there's no team in the NBA right now that can match the um, Golden State Warriors when it comes to championship experience. But also, when you take a look at some of the trials and tribulations, when you speak of the experiences of the Boston Celtics in this era of the uh, Celtics players, when you speak about the cornerstone for the foundational piece being Jason Tatum and his running mate being Jalen Brown and the heart and soul being um, Marcus Smart and such, the reacquisition of Al Horford, some of the maturation growing into the responsibility that they have on this team to be successful, such as a Robert Williams, such as a Grant Williams, the acquisition midseason of uh, Derek White to come in and, and do what he did and really be an important factor for the Boston Celtics during the series against the Miami Heat. And then you take a look at some of the experiences that they've had in the in the tenure that the foundation of what the Boston Celtics are all about in terms of where they are right now with Tatum, Brown, and Smart. And you speak about um, their battle, their seven-game battle when they were neophytes, when they were just children, when they were just kids, when they were just babies, going up against the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James, the whole trials and tribulations of the season that they had with uh, Kyrie Irving and in a negative way learning from that situation. When, when you speak about in the bubble and uh, what they did to first get past the defending champion Toronto Raptors, even though Kawhi was with the Clippers, but you get past and have a tough, hard-nosed series against the Toronto Raptors before finally losing in a hard-fought series against the Miami Heat, then coming back next season and, uh, and, and doing what they did and flaming out and needing a, a reboot, which meant that uh, Udoka became the head coach and Brad Stevens moved upstairs and such. Um, this is a team that has, has gone through a lot of experiences, maybe not championship experiences, but then again, if you're going to be measuring you know, championship experience with championship experience, there's no one in the league. There was no one in the playoffs that could have matched the Golden State Warriors in that regard. So I think the next best thing, when you take a look at the – you know, the, the, the experience level in terms of who's not going to be scared or who's not going to be uh, 
who's not going to have any trepidation when they get to the uh, finals, and who's not going to be wide-eyed, and who's not going to take uh, a couple of games and get used to the being in the situation or being in the environment or, or, or with the stakes being so high. I think Boston's going to be acclimated to what they're going to be doing, what they need to do, what's at stake, what's going to be going down. I think they're going to be acclimated with that very quickly. Yes, being in the final for the first time is going to take uh, a little bit of getting used to. But for the Celtics, man, I think it's going to be midway through the first quarter. It's going to be about them playing basketball and getting the job done. And also, when you speak about from a coaching standpoint, Steve Kerr has done this plenty of times. Making Udoka first time, not just being in the NBA Finals, but also as a head coach. He had some experience, of course, being an assistant with the with the San Antonio Spurs. But, you know, this is going to be a situation where I, I don't think that experience is going to play a, a major role like it did in the Western Conference Finals when the Warriors took care of the uh, Dallas Mavericks. So you're speaking about, you know, um, the storylines, the major storylines before the beginning of these finals, before we start getting into the nooks and crannies of the series when they actually start playing. I think the main thing, of course, is going to be, are we going to be looking at the reemergence of a dynasty or the start of a dynasty. Now, there's one thing that's been happening. There's one thing that's going on in the NBA right now is parody. There is no Kobe, Shaq, Los Angeles Lakers. There is no Heatles of LeBron, uh, C-Webb, and, or LeBron, uh, um, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade. There, there is no Golden State dynasty in their, in, in their most highest level. When you're speaking about Steph and KD and Clay. And, and Draymond really being in their prime. So moving forward, there there is no super team. There is no juggernaut. So when I'm speaking about, you know, re- the reemergence of a dynasty, I'm thinking about more of Golden State if they win this championship to add on to the dynasty that they already had. We're just talking about them going for their fourth NBA championship since 2018 and being 4-2 and two in the NBA Finals and being in the NBA Finals for the sixth time in eight seasons. I'm speaking about if the Golden State Warriors win this, their dynasty will be set in stone even more and even move them up a little bit more in terms of when you take a look at the great dynasties, considered dynasties, defined dynasties for the uh, in the past uh, 21st century when, you, when you're speaking about the Lakers since the 1999 finals, the Lakers winning six championships and eight NBA finals, the San Antonio Spurs, the Tim Duncan winning five championships and going to the finals six times. When you're thinking about, again, Golden State now, six times in the finals in eight years already winning three championships. The Miami Heat going to five finals, mainly because of LeBron, D. Wade, and Bosh, but winning two championships in five NBA final appearances. The Detroit Pistons, two NBA finals winning one. Dallas, two NBA finals winning one. The Boston Celtics, Three NBA Finals now, as of right now, winning one. The Cleveland Cavaliers, five NBA uh, Finals. Thank you, LeBron, winning one. And then we have Toronto and Milwaukee, one championship each and one NBA Finals each. So when you're speaking about a team like the Golden State Warriors who have won championships in 2015, 17, and 18, well, they made the NBA Finals six times in eight seasons when you're speaking about 2015, 16, 17, 
18, 19, and then 22, and their playoff performance, NBA Finals record being 3-2, and two, for them to then win themselves a championship, if they can win themselves this championship and then win their fourth in eight seasons, I think this is going to be one of the greatest. I think you have to go all the way back to the MJ Bulls, where Jordan and the Bulls won six championships in eight seasons. I think that's the greatest championship championship stretch, especially when you're speaking about, yeah, the San Antonio Spurs won and then won five NBA championships. When you speak about, well, wait a minute, Wendell. You're speaking about the Golden State Warriors. If they win this championship, will give them four. How can that then be greater than the Los Angeles Lakers since the 21st century winning six? How can you say that that's a greater dynasty than the San Antonio Spurs since the turn of the century winning five? How can you say that? I can say that because when you take a look at the time elapsed between the Lakers winning their fourth championship when they remade their team, well, they did remake the team. Once they won their first three championships in a row with Kobe and Shaq, and then the breakup of Shaq and Kobe, that's when Paul Gasol came on board a few years later, and that was a situation where they went back to the finals, lost to Boston before they won their two championships with Kobe beating Boston in Game 7 and beating Orlando in six games or five games to win themselves their fourth or their, their fourth and fifth championship. And then a couple of seasons ago with LeBron, a whole new generation of Laker players winning the uh, Lakers their sixth championship within the 21st century. So you're speaking about almost different eras different teams and everything else when you're speaking about the Los Angeles Lakers winning six championships. Same thing with the San Antonio Spurs. Yes, you know, it was a situation where the first two championships were won with the twin towers of David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Very quickly, Tim Duncan, as soon as he came onto the court as a rookie for the Spurs from Wake Forest, and he came in there and said, this is going to be how we're going to do it in terms of me being the man. And David Robinson, who was ringless and at the end of his career saying, hell yeah, Give this young buck the ball and let him take me to an NBA championship and I'll help when I can. And you're speaking about the way the style that the San Antonio Spurs won their championships, the way that they shifted their philosophy in terms of winning a championship, mainly from being a feed-it-to-the-post, small ball, uh, a twin tower type of situation with Tim Duncan and David Robinson and Tim Duncan doing the majority of the work, not only on the offensive end, but also anchoring the defense to all of a sudden the way they morphed into the three-point shooting, beautiful basketball, moved the ball around, really a Golden State Warriors style of, 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 of play before the Golden State Warriors really took that style to another level with players such as Money Ginobili and Tony Parker along with Tim Duncan now not being the guy in terms of the responsibility that he had when he was in his younger days and the time elapsed between the Spurs winning their fourth championship and their fifth championship. I think with the Golden State Warriors can go ahead and win their fourth championship and a smaller window than both the Lakers and the Spurs, I would say that that would be a greater feat, especially when in terms of speaking about the time between championships when you still had the core nucleus of Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson. So I would say in this situation, um, something that would be similar, you would probably have to go all the way back to, as I mentioned before, the the 1991 to 1998 Chicago Bulls, six championships in eight seasons, three, two three-peats in between Michael Jordan retiring and then coming back. So 
been. You're talking about Steph, Clay Thompson, Draymond being the greatest trio in NBA history since Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili in terms of winning and winning championships. So I think all of that, as far as the San Francisco, San Francisco Warriors, the uh, Golden State Warriors, I think that's all on the table for them to uh, munch and crunch on in terms of what it could be if they win themselves an NBA championship. But for the Boston Celtics winning a championship, what would it mean in a in an Eastern Conference where, man, you still have the Miami Heat. Now there's talk that they're going to be going after maybe a Zach Levine or they're going to be going after a Donovan Mitchell. Good luck on that one. But you always have Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra lurking about. You have a situation where you still have the Milwaukee Bucks where you can make the strong argument that if it wasn't for an injury to Chris Middleton, it would have been the Milwaukee Bucks playing in the NBA championship trying to uh, repeat and we could be speaking about dynasties and where this is going to go and all this type of stuff where, you know, that was all thwarted by the injury to Chris Middleton, but the Milwaukee Bucks surely aren't going anywhere. You have, uh, you know, other teams that are going to be also vying uh, for a, a championship. So this is not going to be a situation, even if the Boston Celtics win this championship, that that's going to elevate them to a place to where they are no doubt about it. Uh, best in the Eastern Conference, the, the Brooklyn Nets, they have to settle this situation between Kyrie and the organization and such, but because of Kevin Durant, I'm expecting Kyrie and KD to come back with the Brooklyn Nets, so we'll, we'll see what that's going to happen in terms of that is concerned. We're going to see if maybe the Philadelphia 76ers, with Joel Embiid recovered from his hand surgeries that he's been having in, in this offseason, and James Harden, if he could commit to, uh, you know, just maybe one season of just balls to the wall, getting himself in shape and being the player that he once was, Philadelphia could still be a uh, threat. So Boston winning this championship does not mean that they are going to be head and shoulders now catapulting themselves to winning championships. Unlike Golden State where when they won their first championship in 2015, man, it was a situation where, man, these guys are going to be going and going and going, and I don't see anybody stopping them now. We just see in the uh, beginning of something that's going to be great. I, I, I don't know. Even with Tatum being 24, Jalen Brown being 25, Marcus Smart being 28, uh, Robert Williams being 24, all those guys are under contract, so they ain't going nowhere. Derek White is 27, Grant Williams is 23, still got a couple more years left before um, another team probably is going to snatch him up because the Celtics will be able to uh, pay all of those guys. But, I mean, this is a situation now where, look, Boston – Winning the championship, could it mean the catapult for them to be a team that could win two or three championships in five or six years? Yeah, I really think so. It's not going to be as absolute as what the last dynasty that we had, the Golden State Warriors, in terms of their dominance. But uh, I think this could be a situation where, hey, look, man, winning this championship, especially everything that the Celtics went through. Do you, do you realize on January 6th, the anniversary of our country being invaded by domestic terrorists, i.e. other Americans. Did you realize on January 6th of 2022 that the Boston Celtics had a 25-point lead to the New York Knicks and then blew it and lost after R.J. Barrett banked in the three-point shot at the buzzer, which at the time was the Celtics' fifth straight loss and dropped them into 11th place in the Eastern Conference with a record of 18-21? and 21. Did anybody at that time think that they would go on a 30-13 run to finish the season with a second ranking in terms of the Eastern Conference is concerned? No. No one did that. No one did that. So you're, you're speaking about now, man. Hey, look, you're speaking about from there 
from January 6th all the way where now we're going to be speaking about them being dynasty-ish or maybe having an opportunity to win multiple di- uh, championships. That That's absolutely freaking remarkable, man. That is unflipping believable. And if Boston can win this championship, we talked about, or I talked about the Golden State Warriors, you know, moving throughout the playoffs to make it to the championship by defeating Denver, yeah. by defeating the um, by defeating Memphis, yeah. and then going ahead and beating um, and beating the uh, Dallas Mavericks, yeah. nice and everything. But man, take a look at the avenue. Take a look at the journey that the Boston Celtics had to go through to make it a championship. Bill, they beat the team that going into the playoffs, nobody in the Eastern Conference. They were tanking games. So they would avoid playing the Brooklyn Nets. It seemed like the Celtics were the only team that'd be like, I don't give a fuck. Let's go ahead and play them. I don't give a shit. Not only did they beat them, they swept them. Beat them three times. They beat KD and Kyrie, owners of three championship rings between them. Jason Tatum outplayed both of them. Then they beat the defending NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks and the best player in the game, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and did it by winning games six on the road in game seven as far as the elimination game. Finally, Wearing out the beleaguered the Milwaukee Bucks. Beat the best team record-wise in the Eastern Conference, winning Game 7 on the road. The Rasputins of the NBA, the Miami Heat. So, look, man, they're, I don't want to use the board battle-tested, but look, man, they're, they're, they're ready to go ahead and play Golden State. They're ready to go ahead and uh, meet that challenge. So, we're, we're speaking about if they beat Golden State, which would be the closest team to a dynasty in the annals of sports, Man, how would their legacies be put? How would their legacies be placed? How would their legacies be talked about? Of course, the book would just be written. But man, it would be a wonderful first part of the book if you're speaking about it. And really, if you take a look at this this team and you take a look at the if you take a look at the trio, the foundation of the Celtics, and moving forward, this is not really the beginning of them winning a championship. This this is almost like a situation where Hey, man, this could be like the end of the first story, and we could be taking a look at the sequel, right? Because you have the Celtics going for all the strains and the stripes and the ups and the downs and the and the and the um, and the, the, the missed potentials and this, that, and the other, and the and, and and finally getting themselves a championship win. And you know, they beat the Golden State Warriors, the best team over the past eight, nine, ten, fifteen years, and everybody's cheering and everybody's hugging and everybody's dancing and everybody's grooving and everybody's crying and everybody's high-fiving and roll the credits and, you know, this isn't that wonderful and this is that beautiful and the harps and the strings and the orchestras come in to end the show. Isn't that wonderful and beautiful? But what's next? Fuck that, man. I want to see the dynasty. I want to see the I want to see the sequel. What's going to be happening after this? So this could be the start of really something special in the second chapter or the, or the sequel of their careers for some of these guys. When you speak about Tatum and you speak about Brown, how are these guys going to move forward? Are they going to morph? Are they going to grow into this generation's Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen on that level, near that level? It'll be it'll be interesting to see. The legacies, if you're speaking about the NBA Finals, Steph Curry, already known as the greatest shooter in NBA history. What happens if he wins this NBA, uh, this NBA Finals and is the MVP? That's the only thing he hasn't done, right? He's done everything else as far as professional basketball is concerned. He's won the MVP. He's two-time MVP winner. He's won an NBA championship. He's he's, he's done everything, right? He's 
has he won a scoring title? I don't think he's won a scoring title, but that's not really his gig. He already has a moniker in, next to his name in terms of the greatest shooter of all time. He, he already has that platitude uh, quite snug in his rug. So if he wins this NBA Finals MVP, that's it, man. Move him into the greatest guards of his generation. Move him into the second second greatest player of his generation over KD. Comes down between him and KD in terms of who's the greatest player in his generation, right? Or you could say Kevin Durant's generation because you got Steph, you got KD, Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Blake Griffin, John Wall, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie, Clay Thompson, Damian Lillard, Draymond Green. I would say, yeah, man. I think you would have Kevin Durant and then and then um, Steph Curry either right next to him or slightly above or below him. But, you know, the, the, you're splitting hairs here. I mean, that's a 1993 who's better looking Selma or Halle type of discussion that you have right there. So, I mean, I, I think in finals MVP for Steph, man, you're putting, you're talking about him now, moving up in terms of like, you know, does that move him past D-Wade? When you're speaking about when you're speaking about guards, you got Kobe, you got MJ, you got Jerry West. And normally after that you would have Dwayne Wade. And look, we can, you know, is Steph a shooting guard? Is he a point guard? He's a guard, man. He's a guard. He can he's a guard that can do both. And maybe that helps him out in terms of when we're speaking about this argument, where should Steph Curry go in terms of the greatest guards who's ever played the game? Because now we got to get away from who's the greatest point guard, who's the greatest shooting guard, who's the greatest small forward. Who's the... No, man, tell me who the greatest forwards are. Tell me who the greatest center is. Tell me who the greatest guards are. Don't give me point guard. Don't give me shooting guard. So, man, you know, where do we go here with Steph if he wins this NBA Finals and gets the MVP? Where do we go with this? Is he up there now with the greatest guards of all time? Is he, is he up there with MJ and Kobe and Magic? And Oscar, and Isaiah, is he up there with those guys? Is he at that point? I mean, has he already passed Iverson? He's already passed James Harden. He's already passed Russell Westbrook. Um, where does that go? Where does that put him? So it'll be interesting from that perspective to have to have that discussion. Where exactly is um, Steph Curry going to be if he wins this NBA championship? The, the story of Clay Thompson. Now, it's also going to depend on how well he plays during these NBA Finals, but, man, the story of Clay Thompson, him coming back after two devastating injuries to uh, get back and win an NBA championship, amazing. Draymond Green solidifying himself as one of the greatest role players in NBA history, one of the greatest defenders as far as, you know, that, that is concerned in NBA history. That's on the line. Steve Kerr moving up very quickly if he wins himself another championship in that regard. And, look, I know these guys really don't give – they can give a rat's ass about individual legacy and all that kind of stuff. They're just trying to win a, a basketball game. We're trying to win one game, and then after that, we'll try to win two games. And then after that, we'll try to win another game to make a three. And then after that, we'll try to win four games before the Boston Celtics do. That's the only thing that I'm worried about. Legacy and who's greater and where do I fit in here and I'm the greatest this and I'm the top that and I'm better than this guy. I don't give a flying fuck. That's for you guys to, that's for you guys to jerk off on and talk about. But I'm just up here trying to win... I'm just trying to. I'm just up here cashing checks and winning championships, man. Y'all can go ahead and talk about that other shit. Okay, that's fine. But uh, just 
something that's good to talk about. It's something interesting to talk about, man, you know. And for the um, Boston Celtics and the Lakers team, man, Jason Tatum, man, 12-time Jason Tatum, right? Finally, a situation where if Tatum wins himself this championship, is it a situation where Tatum has fulfilled his destiny? Or is his destiny so great that one championship is not going to be enough? For Dirk, one championship was enough. For Tatum, is one championship enough? Now, Dirk got his near the end of his prime of being a prime time franchise type of type of player. Tatum is just starting this journey, supposedly, allegedly. So it's a situation now where can Tatum exhale in terms of woo, got myself a championship, and you see the team and the and the and the, uh, and the obstacles that I had to get through it to do it. Does he exhale? Or are we like, okay, Jason, that's cool. What is another one? I mean, you wearing that armband, right? I mean, you got that mamba mentality, right? I mean, what would Kobe say about 24, 48 hours after celebrating winning that championship? Okay, you won one. Let's go ahead and get two. That one's done. You got that one. Congratulations. Hey, where'd it go? Hey. When are you going to get number two? Because you got about another 12, 15 more years left to play in this game, and uh, you're just going to settle for one championship at the age of 24. Or you're going to be playing this game another 13, 14 years? So you're going to try to tell me the height of your career in terms of winning championships was when you were 24? I don't think so. Mama mentality, baby. Let's go. Let's get this going. If, you, if, if, if you're going to be satisfied, take that fucking armband off your, uh, off your wrist, off your, off your elbow. Because that's not what Kobe Bryant was all about. That's what Jason Tatum, if he follows that Mama mentality, is not going to be about. So all of that stuff. Is going to be in the play. Injuries are going to be in the, going to be in play. Um, the Warriors had a, more time to to rest than the Celtics with their injuries dealing with Robert Williams, who was visibly limping up and down the court in Game Seven against the Miami Heat. Marcus Smart, we don't know what his uh, leg and ankle situation is going to be, and they're not going to have as much time to rest. As say the Golden State Warriors and try to get Otto Porter back and try to get Barry, Gary Payton the third back for those and um, in, in, in those situations. So it'll be a it'll be a good series, man. It'll be a it'll be a really good series, and I'm really 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 happy <laughs> that these Miami Heat are no longer in there, man. Because to see Kyle Lowry flopping around and having the ref call a, a different game on every possession and having Twitter go off and have a discussion about how bad the refs are quite sure we'll probably have that discussion regardless, but uh, they were bad. They were bad in these playoff series, especially when Miami was playing because it's so difficult to uh, referee a Miami game, just like it's difficult to referee a Yannis Adenikupo game or a Shaquille O'Neal game or something like that in terms of, man, what is a foul? How many fouls we're going to call? This is ridiculous, this, that, and the other. So all good. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program. Thank you so doggone much. Um, thank you very much. Again, like and subscribe on my YouTube channel and go ahead and uh, give me them five stars and subscribe, rate, review, follow, do all of those good things wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Wendell Wallace of Wendell's World of Sports, as always, especially in the times that we're having right now in this country and in this world, please do what we can to uh, show love and support for those, please do what we can to show respect for everybody who is garnering, who deserves the respect. 
don't be judging people by the color of their skin or by their gender or where they live or how much money they make or who they worship or who they love or who they marry. Can we, can we just go ahead and just get all the folks whose hearts are filled with love and affection and peace and unity and harmony for all? And can we just get all of those people and those who don't have it can go fucking fly into a fly into a mountain or some bullshit like that or die a slow painful death and the people who are around for love and peace regardless of the color of your skin and the content of you know can we just go ahead and just build a society off of that and then teach our children and teach the younger generation about love and happiness and treating others with respect and those type of things so this world can move along in a harmonious vibe we could do that, man. It would be great. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. Y'all be good to each other. I'll see you next time. Music. Music.